Welcome to HBTV. I'm Harry Binswanger, the HB in HBTV. Today we're taking up a radical position in epistemology, the theory of knowledge. It's the doctrine of the inerrancy of the senses. That means that the senses are incapable of making a mistake. It's beyond saying that the senses are valid. It's saying that the issue of validity or invalidity does not even arise for the senses. The senses merely provide you with a, an automatic response to the facts that are stimulating your sense receptors and integrated by your nervous system. So it provides you with a scene and there's no such thing as being mistaken or deceptive in doing that. First of all, what is perception, sensory perception? Well, I mean things like seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, the traditional five senses and some bodily senses, the sense of pressure and warmth and cold, coldness on your body and internal aches and pains and muscle stretches and positional things. There's no real mystery about what sense perception is in that regard. I've uh, put it into a definition. It's a little bit involved, but it's worth stating. Perception is the ongoing awareness of entities Entities is important. Ongoing is important. It's not the awareness of the split second. It's the ongoing awareness that I'm now having, and you're now having as I move around, of entities, things, in their relative positions. Space is in, important to uh, perception as opposed to more primitive forms of awareness, such as smell, which is not spatially located for you. But seeing and hearing and touching and even the internal bodily things are. Uh, the ongoing awareness of entities in their relative positions gained from actively acquired sensory inputs. So they're gained through the senses, the sense organs, and those inputs from the interface with the environment are gained actively, meaning you go out and you explore the world, you move around, and that's essential to the full perceptual level. All knowledge begins with, develops out of, and is tested against sensory perception. Incidentally, I've been asked, why do I say sensory perception sometimes? Because the term perception can be used in a wider, more general sense. He perceived that the crowd was against him. He perceived the truth of the Pythagorean theorem. But we're talking about literally seeing, touching, tasting, hearing. We're talking about sense organs being stimulated by the world, and you're perceiving the world in that 
basic form. So sometimes I use sensory perception. Uh, so perception is different from sensation, which I don't think human beings really have. Uh, <clears throat> they are um, in a more advanced level than that, but lower organisms are restricted to local response to things stimulating their sense receptors, such as um, taste as a local um, response and smell, chemo deception, uh, reception and feeling of pressure and temperature. Those are local things. But when you look out on a scene, as I'm doing now, I see a world. I see things located in space. I see things very distant from me. I can see stars that are billions of light years. I was going to say light years, but billions of light years away. So the senses are involved, but we're not limited to a worm's awareness of the world. We see objects in space. We hear them in space. We can feel them in space. That, I think, is essential to the full perceptual level. If you... Well, it wouldn't be you. If a creature was born otherwise resembling a human being, but without any senses, it would be unconscious. It could not develop any awareness at all. It would not be thinking. It would not be dreaming. It would be unconscious. The basic conscious contact with the world is through the senses. Other things are memories of uh, things perceived, associations among things perceived, and conceptualization of things perceived. Perception is the be-all and end-all. Well, perhaps I shouldn't say end-all. Be-all and start-all and test-of-all. It's often said that the senses are valid, but if you understand that the senses are deterministic and physically based, you can see that the term valid doesn't strictly apply. They're beyond valid. They're that in terms of which validity is judged. That on the basis of which validity is judged. They are the ultimate court of final appeal. So to say the senses are valid, it's okay to deny the idea that they're invalid, but to really take seriously that the senses are valid would be like saying the Constitution is legal. No, the Constitution is the ultimate standard by which you judge legality. As a supreme law of the land, there's nothing against which you could test the Constitution to see if it's legal. You can test it against philosophy to see if it's moral or based on truth, but you can't judge it legally. It's that against which all legal issues are ultimately judged. In the same way, perception, what you see here and taste and so forth, is that 
forming the standard, the ultimate test of the validity, correctness, truth, rightness, wrongness, error, or um, straightness of any further higher process. So that's why I use the term inerrant to describe the senses. It's a term used in, in contemporary philosophy. It means incapable of making a mistake. The senses are like sunshine. There's not valid sunshine and mistaken sunshine. There's just sunshine. It's a fact. The output of your nervous system in response to stimulation is not under your control. It is given. It is like sunshine or the law of gravity. It's a metaphysically given fact. Now, of course, you can select what to look at. You can explore or not explore. You can direct your perceiving apparatus here or there. And you constantly do that. But given what you're looking at and how you're focusing on it, what you will see is given by nature. It's not created by you. There are things created by you. That's the conceptual level, not the perceptual level. That's a level of ideas, abstractions, thoughts, judgments. We're talking about something much more simple. We're talking about seeing, hearing, smelling, so forth. So the senses are inerrant means that there's no place to stand to judge them. It means that they are axiomatic. They are that on which knowledge depends and hence cannot be judged, cannot even be denied. Once when I was teaching college, I put on the exam having taught the senses, how can we know before hearing it that any attack on the validity of the senses is mistaken? And I wasn't thinking of this, but a thoughtful student wrote, we have to use our senses to hear it. How can we know before hearing it? So the attack assumes that you can read or hear or otherwise apprehend through your senses what the attack is. So what I had in mind is that all knowledge depends upon the validity or the non-invalidity, the inerrancy of the senses. So if you would attack them even a little bit, and I'll explain what I mean by that, you've denied all knowledge and you're saying, I know I know nothing which is a direct contradiction. What do I mean by denying them a little? People will say, well, the senses are generally reliable, but they're around the edges, they get into trouble. Like um, if you're colorblind or if you're nearsighted 
or you drink too much and you have double vision or you hallucinate or you're presented with an optical illusion. So as long as it's normal circumstances, you can trust your senses, but you have to be aware that they can fail and produce error in certain unusual cases. Now that argument will not work. That's like saying, well, sunshine is generally a fact, but sometimes the sunshine just doesn't, uh, it isn't sunshine. Sure, it can be blocked if cloudy day is not saying sunshine isn't sunshine. So it's the same with the senses. If you are careful about what you're talking about, you'll see that none of those arguments uh, hold up. And there are three of them. There's really not much to say about the senses once you've grasped what I've said already, but there's a lot to say to answer the wrong views that attack it. And there are three categories of argument, and I'm going to take up each one. The argument from hallucination. Well, you take LSD and you see ants crawling up on your arm where there are no ants. No, you don't. You have an inner experience. That's not seeing. You can't see ants that aren't there. Seeing is perceiving entities in the world. If a distorted brain state produces an image that you take to be out there, but is really only in you, that's not perceiving. And in general, arguments like, well, when you dream, you can't rely on what you see. You're not seeing anything in a dream. A brain is getting from its stored content things to present to your conscious mind in image form. That is not seeing. That is imagining or visualizing or projecting in some state other than a perceptual contact with reality. That's the essence of what a hallucination is. If there were ants there, it wouldn't be a hallucination. Then it would be seen, oh my God, I've got ants on my heart. So if we have to bracket off hallucination, perception and hallucination are opposites. That leaves two arguments against perception. One is the argument from sensory illusions, you know, optical illusions, things that look one way, but they aren't. A stick put in to water, straight stick, like your pencil, you put it into a glass of water and semi-submerged, you look at it from the right angle and it looks like it's broken and bent off at an angle when it isn't. Yeah. That experience describes, from a certain perspective, what you see. Yeah, that happens. And when you look at distant mountains, they can look blue. When you get up close, you see, oh, it's green foliage and brown dirt there. It's not blue. Maybe it was the haze in the atmosphere made them look blue. But 
the conditions of perception do not come with a judgment. This is the confusion of the intellect with the senses. The senses tell you so-and-so, but so-and-so is wrong. That's the formula. That's the general argument from illusion. <clears throat> the senses tell you X, but X isn't the case. So the senses have made a mistake, have deceived you, have erred, however you want to put it. What's the wrong premise? The senses don't tell you anything. They don't talk. So when you look out at that stick, there's no voice in your head from reality that's part of perception saying that's a bent stick. That's a conclusion applying concepts to judge what you're perceiving. What you're perceiving is just a certain scene. And a camera would photograph it exactly the same way. So the senses never tell you anything. The senses are silent. Well, hearing hears sounds, but you don't hear ideas. Hey, buddy, that stick is bent. You don't hear that even if you hear noises that are words. You're hearing those noises. You hear sounds. You interpret them as language and as meaning on a conceptual level. So, for instance, if a dog looks at the bent stick in water, it doesn't make any mistake. It's not capable of make a mistake, making a mistake. So I'm challenged on this. People say birds fly into plate glass windows thinking that it's open air. No, they don't think it's open air. They don't think. They fly in the direction that looks to them a certain way. We characterize it as Oh, like open air, but it just looks the way that it does. It doesn't, the bird doesn't have any judgment. It doesn't make a mistake. It doesn't, if it recovers, think anything to itself like, boy, I have to watch out for that. I thought that was air, but it was something clear that looked like air. No. Animals don't think, they don't use concepts, they don't make judgments, and hence they don't make mistakes of any kind. Well, they make mistakes in that they pursue a goal and can fail. So there's goal failure due to the inability to distinguish two things, which if they could distinguish sensorily, they wouldn't fail to reach their goal. So a, um, a camouflaged, uh, insect that looks like a uh, stick, the animal can, quote, think it's a stick, which just means it fails to discriminate it from sticks. If it could, it would eat it. Animals that can puff themselves up to look bigger and invoke fear in their predators or in their competitors. That doesn't make the other animal think, oh, that's a big guy. He could beat me up. I better retreat. 
it's rather he uh, the animal has an association of certain kinds of percepts with certain kind of pain. It doesn't form any judgment. It doesn't make any mistake. It just reacts a different way to a different stimulus. There's no error there. The content of perception is unchallengeable, absolute. It's the data on which everything else rests. So human beings do not make sensory errors any more than animals do. All errors, and Aristotle said this, all errors involving the senses, also called deceptions, illusions, mistakes, are mistakes in judgment. And the judgment is future-oriented. When you think that's a bent stick, you're making an implicit prediction. If I pull that out of order, it will look bent. Not that extreme like that, but it won't. Your prediction based on association is wrong. It will look straight. That is, it will look like other sticks look out of water that we call straight. So the judgment that stick is bent or that stick is straight is an implicit prediction of what it will look across all conditions of perception. Similarly, those hills are blue is an implicit prediction. When I get up close, they'll look blue. And that is wrong. That prediction is wrong. But what you see is not wrong. There's no there's no right seeing to contrast with wrong seeing. It's not that what we see when we're close is right. It's just another form of perception. And that leads us to the third argument and the deepest against the senses. And it provokes the deepest answer. Say you've got two pails of water. You've probably heard of this, right? A, a pretty hot pail of water and an icy cold pail of water. You put one hand in each, you wait 30 seconds, then you pull them out and put both hands into the same lukewarm pail of water. The hand that's adapted to cold will feel it as warm the hand that was adapted to hot will feel it as cool. But it can't be both warm and cool at the same time. So what's going on here? What's going on is the perception is, the form of perception is influenced by the conditions of perception and the conditions of the organ of perception. There's a distinction between form and object. You're perceiving the same object, the lukewarm water, in two different sensory forms. Neither one is wrong. Neither one contradicts the other. Well, wait a minute. Sure, they contradict each other. One says it's, oh, says. Oh, am I doing that? Th yes, you are. This hand is not saying, hey, fellow, this is warm water. 
and this hand saying, hey, fellow, this is Cobra. You're simply having two different experiences. No experience can contradict another experience because neither one of them is conceptual. It's just different. There's no reason why the same, uh, you know, two different hands should have the same experience, particularly not if one of them is in a different state than the other is. So the form of perception, the form in which we, we grasp reality on the sensory level <clears throat> is dependent upon three things. The nature of the object, like the water, the nature of uh, you, your nervous system, and the conditions of perception. Now, the conditions of perception don't enter too much here in any way I can think of, unless you want to take into account the previous conditions where you adapted one hand to hot and one hand to cold. But your hands, uh, the temperature is really a response to net outflow or inflow of heat, not to absolute temperature. That's another point. The form of perception is not a uh, volitional thing. It's not your free will. How shall I see this? Maybe looking out, I see some palm trees. Maybe I'm going to, I'm going to choose to see them as red. Can't do it. I'm seeing my burnt umber jacket in the monitor. I'm going to choose to see it as a pink fur. I can't do it. How you perceive what you perceive is determined by the state of the thing you're perceiving, the state of the medium through which it's transmitted, through air, or through water, whatever the medium is, and the conditions thereof, and where you're standing and your angle, those are the conditions of perception, and of your own physiology and your own state, your equipment and your state, the thing in the distance that you're seeing, even if the distance is only this far, and the conditions under which you're seeing it, if we're talking about vision. Given those three facts, how you will perceive it is metaphysically set. It's necessitated by the law of cause and effect. It could no more be different than it is than a stone could decide to fly up when it's released. As such, it too is not judgeable. Well, that's not strictly true. There's one way you can judge it, and that's just to close up the last little loophole. You can judge the quantity of information that you get. The person who is colorblind does not perceive a different reality. He fails to be able to discriminate colors that a normally sighted person can. So the quantity of information you get through your senses <clears throat> is dependent upon the senses, but the quality of that as information is an absolute. It's a given. Whatever information you pick up is information. 
It's up to your intellect to identify, is this an actually bent stick or is this the refraction of light due to the water so that it looks like a bent stick looks when it's out of water, but it won't, your mind has to judge all that. But the information it gets is absolute. You know, the extreme of the colorblindness is total blindness. Would you say a, a blind man inhabits a different reality? No, unless you're being poetic. He lives in the same reality. If a truck is speeding towards him, it, it will hit him just if he doesn't move out of the way, just as it will a sighted person if he doesn't get out of the way. It's simply that he cannot get the information that a sighted person can. And a colorblind individual gets most of the information, but he cannot distinguish between shades that a, a normal uh, sighted man can. And you know the tests for colorblindness, what are they? The little dots on a background, and if you can't appreciate the subtle differences between close by shades, you don't see a figure. So it's the less quantity of information. The color sighted individual sees a nine there. You don't see the nine, you just see dots. I know because I'm slightly colorblind. So the quantity of information pickup depends upon the healthiness of your senses and on their normal range. We don't see ultraviolet light, but bees can. We can't hear frequencies of sound that a dog can. That doesn't mean there's a different world or our senses aren't perceiving reality or any of that stuff. It means the senses are limited by their nature as physical instruments. And I wanna tie this up with the, this being the form object distinction. By taking seriously that the senses are physical instruments. So suppose you have a thermometer, a mercury thermometer. You know that it, as the temperature goes up, mercury, which is a metal, even though it's liquid, expands, and it's a very thin little column of mercury, so it moves up. That's the only place it can go, up. So you read the level on a, a calibrated scale. Now, suppose it's wrong. That means the calibration is wrong. It doesn't mean that mercury doesn't expand. It doesn't mean that the laws of physics have changed for your thermometer. It means the marks made on the glass that enable you to count the number of gradations is off. Suppose you've got in the old days with thermometers like that, you used to get little air gaps and there'd be a piece of mercury above the gap and the bulk of it below. And as the temperature increased, both pieces would move up the scale. Surely that's a, an error on the part of the thermometer. No. It just means you have to recalibrate the scale. That change, even if it isn't linear, 
even if the compressibility of the air in between, if there is air in between, means that it will have a larger gap at the lower temperatures and a smaller gap. I don't know if that's true, but smaller gap at the higher temperature. We assume that's true. That just means you have to calibrate it on a logarithmic scale. But the instrument still serves to measure the temperature and your eyes still respond to what they respond to. Whether you're nearsighted or farsighted, it's an issue of knowing how to judge what you see and an inability to make distinctions. You know, what is that letter on the fifth row in the eye chart? Uh, I'm not sure, is it an F or an A or a G? The person with better vision says, it's an A. He distinguishes things that your senses doesn't allow you to distinguish. But the output of the senses is determined by physical fact, the fact of the nature of the object, the letter, how far it is away, the conditions of perception, the lighting on it, condition of perception, the state of your eyeball. Is it nice and round or is it squished in or squished out, which will make the image not focus on the retina? The state of your nervous system beyond the retina, none of which you control by a wish or will or change of heart. So the output of the sensory receptors and your consequent experience is metaphysically given in Ayn Rand's term. It's, un, it, it's unchallengeable. It just is like the law of gravity or the path of the Mars around the sun. It's not due to anyone's choice. Only that which is a result of things that could have been otherwise can be called an error. Only if your choice is responsible for a mismatch between what you thought would happen and what did happen. <clears throat> if it's your choice, it can be wrong. Choices are right or wrong. So you can have right ideas because they're the product of your chosen thinking. Wrong ideas. That's a bent stick. Wrong idea. Output of the eyes. Not an idea. Not wrong, not right, just the output of the eyes. So if you want to read two good things on this, read my book, How We Know. I have a whole chapter on perception, and it's a long chapter. I go into all these issues in some detail. And uh, a book that I may have right here, but I don't see it offhand. A book by the great psychologist or experimental psychologist, J.J. Gibson, the psychologist of perception, James J. Gibson, who wrote, the senses considered as perceptual systems and the ecological approach to visual perception. And ecological there doesn't mean you know, environmentalism or how the species get along with each other. He means a biological approach to visual perception. 
both of them are fantastically good works. They're a little hard to get a hold of, uh, but it can be done. So I recommend me and Gibson on this. And uh, I recommend you don't criticize your eyes, ears, nose, tongue, muscle spindles, and other physiological apparatus. They're doing as well as they can do given their nature. They don't choose it. Thanks for attending, and I'll see you next week on HBTV.